say that it is good to be with you this morning. Glad that everyone has come out to be with us, and hopefully we'll have something to say that you'll be able to use as you go along life's way. The elders told me that they went to great trouble to remodel the building just for my coming over to be with you. I think you've done a wonderful job. I want to commend you on that. And they told me I could even write on the wall if I wanted to write something down. So uh, we'll, we'll try to refrain from that. A number of years ago, I was in the Houston area, and uh, the brethren asked me to preach on a subject. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Give me 20 years, and I'll preach on that. A number of years later, I went back to that same congregation, and they said, we're ready for the sermon you promised us. And I thought, well, you know, I promised lots of stuff, and Mike knows I'm bad about forgetting stuff. I forgot whole meetings, actually, before. And uh, I said, what sermon did I promise you? And they said, when, when Jeremy was born, we wanted you to preach on the family. And you said, give me 20 years. He said, and they told me, he said, well, he's 25 now, so we'd like to know either how to do it or how not to do it. And so I'm not, this is not one of my comfort zones, but I want to talk about the foundation of a Christian home. And when we talk about the foundation of a Christian home, I want you to know that I'm not going to get into the mechanics of the duties of each one that is in the home, the wife, the, the mom, the children, the husbands and wives, the parents, all that. We're going to hit on some of that just a little bit. But I want to talk about the stuff that that, that is built upon. In other words, there's some things that I think take place and are required for a Christian home that you're going to have to do before you start worrying about who's the head and who's in submission and, and what we're going to do with kids and things like that. And I want you to know it goes by in a hurry. Bev and I, years ago, we were sitting in a little house on Cherry Street in Sherman, Texas, and she would sit beside me and we'd talk about what do you want to do for a career and all that and how many kids you think we'll have and all that. And now we turn around real good and they're all grown and they're all having kids. And uh, it just seems like a long time ago and yet it seems like it was just yesterday. I want to ask you, what is the foundation of a Christian home? Now, I know what most are going to say, because I'm going to say it too. Well, Christ is our foundation. The Lord Jesus is the foundation of our home. And you know, that's only partially correct. The foundation of a Christian home, the Lord laid a foundation. But whether you build upon that or not, it's up to you. You are the foundation of a Christian home. And let me show you what I mean that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24... And I know he was not specifically talking about the home. He's talking about your life in general. All aspects of your life should be like this. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, I want you to listen to this. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. The rock is the solid foundation we want to build our homes on. We want to build our lives on. And it is in direct proportion to how committed we are to hear His sayings and do it then. It's not enough to hear and not do. We've got to hear the words of Jesus and we've got to follow them. And I want you to know something, my brethren. It is easy to give lip service to this concept. Now, when Jesus got on the religious leaders of the day in Matthew chapter 15, do you remember what he said in verse 8? Now, we know verse 9, for in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Verse 8 said, Well did Isaiah prop, or Isaiah prophesy of this people, saying unto me, They draw nigh unto me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips. They're saying the right stuff, but their heart is far from me. 
Why was their heart far from it? Because they knew the sayings of God. They knew the teachings of God. But they didn't want to do it. They weren't doing it. And these are religious leaders. How committed are you and I to taking the instruction that God has given us, these sayings of mine, and actually do them? Put them into practice. Now, Jeremy and his brother played football. And we would go over film together and all that. And one thing they would hear me say to them is, Son, you've got to do this. You've got to get in this stance. You've got to use this footwork. You've got to use this technique. And you've got to do it every single time. Now, why would I tell them that? One, I knew what they needed to do. And two, I knew that they were chips off the old block. <laughs> and if the play's going the other way, mm, you might can rest a little bit. You know, no, you can't. You've got to do your job. You've got to do it every single down, every single second you're out there, every time. That's the way it is with the Lord. We just use the Lord's sayings when we get in trouble. Things are going pretty good. We don't really worry about it too much. Maybe we only do it when it's good times. I know people that when they have hard times, they, they quit the Lord. Is it only during the good? Is it only during the bad? Or do we do it every time? If your home is going to work and you are going to build on the rock, you must take His sayings and you must do them every single time. Even when you're right and you don't want to. I want you to know, I, Bev, she finally learned. She's wrong. It's her fault if we have a problem. Every, I, and I told her why. She married poorly. Yeah, that's, that was her problem. The truth of the matter is, even when you don't want to, that's when you must do it the most. Now, I've t probably told most of you this story, so I'm sorry if I'm boring you with it. Bev and I were married about 18 months. We, we dated two years and never had an argument that I can recall. She really can't either. But we made up ground for that <laughs> in the first 18 months after we got married. And a lot of it was partly, mostly my foolishness and trying to figure, we had to grow up together and learn how to just be, we thought we were grown at the time and I don't think we really were. But we had to learn how to live together and how to be married. And we thought we knew these things. And if you ask me who's going to be the foundation of the home, I would tell you Christ. But I wasn't doing what Christ told me to do when I'd get angry. I wasn't treating her the way Christ told me to treat her. I was treating her the way I wanted to and the way I did it naturally. And it wasn't working, folks. We sat down one evening, and it broke both of our heart, and we decided we messed up. We made a mistake. We were maybe too young. Maybe we thought we knew what we were doing, but this isn't working. Neither one of us want to keep living like this. So we're going to split up. We're going to get a divorce. And I was on board with that. She was on board with that. And now you got the separate room thing starting. And I finally come to, I do not know what caused this. It was a great epiphany. It's one of the few I've had in my life. I wish the Lord would drop more of these on me. Maybe the Lord stepped in because he knew we were fixing to make a mess out of this. And he said, and, and I thought this, I went to Bev and I said, hey, before we give up, she was packing. I said, before we give up, let's try one more time. And she was a little leery because my trying usually meant if she would straighten up, I'd be fine. 
you know, kind of a way that it works, kind of a selfish approach to it. And she said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to take a concordance and a Bible, and I'm going to go in, in that room. And I'm going to write down every command I can find to the husband. And I'm going to write them out. I said, you take your concordance and you go over there and you write down every command you can find for the wife. And then I made this statement. I said, here was the kick to the whole thing. I'm not going to worry about you. I'm going to let you worry about you. I'm going to start fixing me. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And I hung it on the fridge because, I mean, I'm going to see it frequently. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way life is, people. And I hung it on the free, and I started doing, even when I was angry, and even when I thought she was wrong, and even when I was, had my feelings hurt, and I didn't want to do it, I started doing what God told me to do. And I want you to know, in that household, it was a miracle. Now, we're going to celebrate 41 years this December. God fixed that marriage. But you know what had to happen first? I had to commit to hearing these sayings and doing them. Biblical love, all biblical love is, people, is how to treat one another. That's all it is. And I've heard husbands and wives say things about each other. It's terrible to say. Now, Beverly, when she grew up, a lot of the older guys thought it was funny that they would tell a joke and the wife was kind of the end of the joke there. Bev goes, we're not going to do that. (laughs) And I want you to know that pretty much... I've been able to honor that over the years. We don't, we don't do that, uh, to, to each other. Because that's just rude. You know, the Bible says be courteous to one another. Did you know it? It's in the Bible. Look at 1 Peter 3 sometime. It's, and it says be, be courteous, be pitiful to one another. You know, when we were dating and she would cry, it'd just break my heart and I'd want to hold on to her and try to fix whatever her problem was. After we'd been married a little while, she'd start crying and go, oh, here come the waterworks. What happened? You know, when we were dating, she she had one place to sit, and that was right beside me. That's it. I mean, you couldn't get a credit card between them. It was that tight. Now we get in the car, and she sits at the time, and go, what, you want to drive? What happened? We quit treating each other. We quit dating. Now, in a word, if you want to have a lot better relationship, don't quit dating each other. Boys, you treat her the way you treated her when you were trying to win her heart. And ladies, you treat him like you wanted, whenever you treated him whenever you wanted him to win your heart. Just being nice to each other will go a long way. But the Lord had commanded that all along. Been there for 2,000 years. Why wasn't I listening to those things? You know, I don't know how to be a husband. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how to be a dad. I certainly don't know how to be a wife, which we're going to talk about this evening. Now we're going to be a fish out of water. I don't, certainly don't know how to be a mom. I don't. Jeremiah 10, verse 23, it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Read the instructions, folks. Read the instructions. Now, guys like me, we're real bad about not reading the instructions on anything. I did learn raising children that the words you want to avoid is some assembly required. (laughs) Because I'm not going to read the instructions. I know how to do this. No, you don't. There's a reason you have to go in that order. And there's a reason I always have parts left over. And it doesn't work. And then we wind up reading the instructions, go back and fix it and do it right anyway. In your life, in your marriage, read the instructions. Now, y'all know that I did not come via the church. 
I come a different route through the religious world. You know, one of the things that Bev and I didn't have to worry about was whether we were going to be committed to God or not. Our, our, our problem wasn't, are we going to go to church? Our problem wasn't, are we going to be Christians or are we going to have a Christian family and try to raise them as Christian children? Our problem was, how are we going to worship God? Where are we going to go to church? And what are we going to be teaching these kids? And we had to get together on the how, not if, not whether or not we were going to do that. But even in spite of knowing all that before we ever got married, we still had problems. Now, the storms are going to come. If you read down, Jesus says the winds will blow and the rains will come and beat upon that house, but it'll stand because it's founded on a rock. Storms are coming. Two people cannot live together and not have conflict. You're going to have conflict. You know, I hit about 40 years old, and I watched a show about that Indian chief, Chief Joseph. And I was very impressed with the man. And when he went to General Crook, General Crook had been a Union general or soldier. And when he heard what Joseph had to say to him, he looked at his, his fellow officers and he said, I fought one war to free people and I was right. He goes, what I'm doing now is very wrong. The chief laid down his spear at the feet of the general and said, I will fight no more forever. And I told Bev, I said, life's too short. We finally dawned on me, we don't have an endless amount of time together. Life's too short. And I'm not going to waste it fighting. And I will fight no more forever. And I've tried to go by that ever since. Somebody would ask me, have you got any regrets being married to Bev? I've got one. I took her by, we were driving down the road, we went to lunch, and we went by the little house we lived in, and we first got married. I said, my biggest regret is I wasted time being foolish and arguing instead of enjoying being together. Time is short, people. God can fix what we have going on, but we've got to commit to hearing his sayings and doing them. Every now and then, and and the elders here get it too, and I'm sure that all the evangelists do and all that, all the L elders do. We do Christian counseling or pastoral counseling or biblically-based counseling of sorts. People are having problems, they want to talk to you. You know what the first thing is required in Christian counseling? Are you a Christian? What I've got won't work if you're not committed to the Lord. What I'm telling you this morning may sound good to you, you may think this, this is something that could do good or something like that. I'm telling you right now, what I'm telling you will not work if you are not a Christian. That's why when people come and they're not Christians, but they're having problems and they want us to help fix it, we can put a Band-Aid on it. That's really all we're doing until we first fix the basic, the foundation. And the foundation is, are you truly committed as a Christian? When you hear these sayings of mine, Jesus said, will you do them? It's that simple. Now, I want you to know I'm giving you the ideal here. I know there are storms out there. They're coming. I know when you raise kids, they're not robots. I learned that one the hard way, too. But I want you to know you cannot succeed if you're not committed to Christ 100%. I'm going to do His Sayings. No, we're not perfect. I understand that. Now, after that miraculous recovery we had after 18 months, we've had problems since. 
We've had big disagreements since. Our, and, and somebody told me, goes, when you tell stories about y'all's marriage, it always involves food. And I'm thinking, you know, they're probably right. You know, Bev and I had a huge fight one time down the Rio Grande Valley. I thought it was the end of the world. I always go to church's chicken. And I get a bucket of chicken and go watch football. And she said, I'm tired of going to church's chicken. You always get church's chicken. We always get chicken. We do what you want to do. And I thought, you know, I'm being a little bit of a tyrant here. That's probably true. Even though church is chicken, religious meal, you know, kind of could equate that, you know, make it biblical. She, I go, where do you want to go? She said, Long John Silver's. You know, I kind of like Long John Silver's. Now at the time, I thought they threw the fish away and served the bait. But I said, okay, I'm going to go to Long John Silver's. And I took her to Long John Silver's, and she ordered chicken. <laughs> and the fight was on. And I'm talking serious stuff like that. You know, nowadays, if she comes and said, hey, I'd like to go to Long John Silver's. Okay, I'm going with you. Well, they improved it because they do have Kentucky Fried Chicken in with Long John Silver's. So it is kind of a step up for us nowadays. One time we were talking about going on a trip, and I didn't want to spend the money. I really didn't. And Beverly's best friend is Doyle Blue. Doyle, we found out about this little discussion. We come into church one morning, and he said, let me tell you something, boy. You gotta spend a million dollars, you take her, cause one of the days that money won't matter to you. After he had lost Francis. And you know, I got to thinking, it wouldn't matter one day whether we ordered chicken or fish or we had a sandwich. It's how we treat each other. These sayings of mine and do them. Husbands and wives must be like-minded. The husband is the head of the wife, according to Ephesians 23. You know, there's been very few times in, in our marriage that I've had to function as the head. But there's been some times. One of them was that day I had the epiphany to try to save our marriage and decided, here's what we're going to do. You know, Bev was like-minded. And the wife, submit yourself. That when I was leading the family the way God wanted us to, she was willing to follow. When we get out of step and out of harmony with this head submission thing, is when one of us is not doing what God would have us to do. Dad, if you'll become the spiritual leader of your family, that Christ is first, you'll find these ladies will be much more willing to submit and follow that. Even if you don't get it right all the time, because none of us are perfect. But she knows your heart is turned to do the right thing, and the family is first in your heart. And if she knows that, she can put up with the shortcomings we have. You know, it's a whole lot easier to submit to Christ for me than it is for Bev to submit to Marlon. And I'll tell you why. I know the Lord doesn't want anything but the best for me. And He has died for me. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, ladies, you remember something. It just, may just be the nature of the beast. But these men in this room, they'd die for you. They would lay down their life for you. Their heart is turned right. Now, they're not perfect. Goodness, no, we're not perfect. You know, I heard Rita saying one time, and uh, probably I'll lose this, but the girls marry the boys hoping they can change them. And the boys marry the girls hoping they never change. And nobody's happy in the end. <laughs> Yes, we're going to fall short. But, Dad, where are you leading in? Now, is the job the most important thing? Is 
putting bread on the table the most important thing? It's important. I didn't say it wasn't important. I know he that provideth not for his own. I understand the verse. 1 Timothy 5.28. I got it. But that's not first. Is the first thing a career and getting ahead? I hope not. You know, one of the things, if you watch the news, you're going to find women have to balance. How do they balance career and home? You know, in our world, that's not hard. Home's first and career can go, we'll go find a job. I may have told you this before, but the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, every now and then, I run into somebody and they're going to move off to Timbuktu and we've had a lot of that happen to us lately. Where are you going to go to church? I don't know. Is there a church in the area? I don't know. We'll find something. That's the bunch that 20 years later, none of them are in the church. And every now and then I run into a young couple that are wise beyond their years. And they say, we're going to move down to Timbuktu. Why are you going there? There's a church down there. They're active. They've got good leadership. And we want to be involved in that work. And we're going to go to church there. What are you going to do for a living? We'll find something. Now you tell me who's seeking the kingdom first. Mom and dad must be committed. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Seek thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come and you say I have no pleasure in them. You know what that verse really means, young people? You don't got to make the same mistakes us old folks did. Now I want you to look around. You're going to see gray hair and you're going to see older people. And I, I know older is a relative thing. Tex Monk was the old man when I married Beverly. He was 37 years old. <laughs> he was old. But when you're 17, 18, 19, that's an old man, isn't it? These gray-haired people weren't always gray-haired old people. And they learned a lot of the lessons they learned the hard way. You don't have to. You can seek your creator in the days of your youth. But you know what's going to happen? You're not going to listen. You're going to have to learn it the same way we did. You're going to do it the hard way. Remember this. When the times are hard, hear his sayings and do them. Now, I had a brother. Sam and I have a brother. He died when he was 42. Uh, he got involved in drugs and all that. But even though he was involved in drugs, I, I, he sat down with me, did a Bible study, and he obeyed the gospel and all that. And, and I hope that took some. But he just never could overcome those drugs, and they, they eventually killed him. One time I was trying to get him some help and get him in a rehab, and I sent him to two or three, and it didn't seem to work for him. I don't know what the deal was. At any rate, this old fellow was there, and he told my brother something. It just shocked me. I thought, well, we just lost the game right here. He said, let me tell you something, son. I know what you're going through because I've been there. And he said, you come and do the program we got, and if you don't like it, give us 30 days. And if you don't like it, we'll refund your misery. And I thought, whoa. You know, I got to thinking about that over the years. You've tried everything in the home and it's not working. Why not try the Lord's way for a little while? You know, if, it don't, if that doesn't suit you, we can always refund your misery. You can always go back to being miserable. But you know what's going to happen? When you do it the Lord's way, there's going to be a miracle. And things are going to straighten up. No home is successful, whether they're Christian or not, unless they're using Christian principles. And you can take that to the bank.
I don't care how worldly somebody is. If their home is successful and they're not putting the fun in dysfunctional, which we've done, if they're having a successful home, it's going to be because they heard the sayings and they did them. They followed the instructions. You know, in every home, there's got to be discipline. Now, the Bible says that a dad corrects his sons off, uh, be, be off times, I believe is what it uses the word. I always thought that meant often. Uh, and come to find out after I got older, it meant from time to time. Sorry, son. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, just the way it is, you know. But there's got to be discipline in the home. You know, and I was about 23, 24, I guess, when Jeremy come along and, and all that. And I'm thinking about having this child and, and, and this, this boy coming in and, and uh, I read Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the, the law of your mother. And I got to thinking, this boy is going to need discipline. And then I've got three others that have come along. And they're going to need to be disciplined. And then I got to thinking, where does discipline start? Where does it start? And I thought, it's going to start with Marlon. I'm the one that needs to be disciplined. I read a deal when Jeremy was coming along, and I don't remember all the different details of it, but it was a little pamphlet. And it had a picture of a high chair and a picture of the electric chair. You remember old Sparky? And then the caption said, a little discipline in this chair, the high chair, will avoid this chair. And then they had some statistics, and folks, it's been so long ago now, I don't remember the statistics, but let me give you the basics. The majority of the people, the violent criminals in our jails, our prisons, never went to church. They were not raised around Christian principles and godly parents, and most of them, my my goodness, quite far from that. There was a small segment of the population in the prison that was sent to church. And a lot of our denominational friends found out that a lot of the programs they had and things like that, the parents were ju- that didn't go but sent the kids, they were just using it as a babysitting service. And they kind of got tired of that after a while. And then this is the one that caught my eye. Less than 10% of the prison population were young men that their dad and mom took them to church. You see, if I want my kids to go to church and believe in Jesus, I need to go to church and believe in Jesus. I need to be committed to the very thing I want to teach them. This stuff of do as I say, not as I do, is hypocritical, and they'll see right through that in a heartbeat. Now, they know Dad's not perfect. They know that. But they know where our heart was. One of these little ones learning right now from hearing me, i got two grandchildren here, probably not going to get a whole lot out of what granddad's saying right now. But they're watching mom and dad and grandmother and granddad and everybody they know. They're watching these old people worship God. And they're watching you. You may not consider yourself old. You may be 20s or 30s. But they're watching you. And they're learning from you. How can my children be disciplined if dad's not disciplined? I've had to raise five kids. Jeremy, Melissa, Chance, Destiny, and the oldest one, Marlon. 
you know the one that gave me the most problem? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> oh, Marlon, he was, he was one hard-headed rascal. But if discipline is going to start with them, it's got to start with me. How disciplined are we, Mom and Dad? How disciplined are we to doing what God would have us to do? Now, I came up with a saying. I found it in the Bible, and I thought it was cute, and we used it as our class motto when I was 18. I didn't realize what an effect it was going to have on my life. I changed it up so that it would fit in a yearbook. He that overcomes others is strong. He that overcomes himself is mightier still. I did not know the import of those words when I come up with that. Proverbs says, he that taketh the city is strong. He that ruleth his spirit is mighty. I'm the hardest one to control. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I see the enemy. And he's looking back at me. But if I want my children to be disciplined, mom and dad, are you? Are you going to ask them to do things you're not willing to do yourself? I want them to read the Bible. Have you read the Bible? I want them to spend time in prayer. I want them to go to church. That means the NFL gets put on the sideline. That's a biggie in our house. Now, you're fortunate. You got a DVR. We didn't have that. We didn't even have VCR. Remember, Mike showed up with this computer that was great, and he had a cassette tape. (laughs) And if he wanted to back up, he had to rewind. (laughs) I told him, them computers ain't never going to matter to nothing. It's fad. I could get rid of that thing, you know. And, and I turned out to be right about that. So. <laughs> but you know, back in that day, you made a choice. You're going to go to church. You're going to watch football. Or whatever it is that entertains you. Maybe we can put church off for deer hunting. I like that one. Maybe if we go deer hunting, maybe we can find a way to accommodate church. Maybe we can put church off for fishing. Or maybe we can find a way to accommodate both. Or maybe, if I want my kids to put the Lord first, maybe I ought to put the Lord first. Discipline didn't start with them. Now, in Ephesians 6 and 4, the Bible says, Fathers, bring, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I really believe provoke to wrath means don't abuse them. I've seen young men that they live their whole life just waiting to hear dad say something nice to them approve of them. And no matter how hard they tried, no matter what they did, they never heard it. And pretty soon they quit trying. Is that the way we are? How would you like it if nobody ever thought well of what you did? Would you keep doing it? Would you keep trying? My brother, the one that passed away one time, we were playing a game called What If. And uh, we were talking about what if you had a million dollars. He loved airplanes. They were they were just the top in his world. He a little, little fella. And mom walked through while we were playing the game. And he just made the statement, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy an airplane. Mom walked by and he goes, mom, I'd give it to you. And she goes, what would I do with an airplane? And turned around and walked off. You should have seen the look on his face. He just got up and went to his room. You could hear him crying. Dad got up and goes, do you realize what you just did? Owning an airplane would be the greatest thing in the world for that little fella. 
and you just turned his gift down. Oh, of course, mom then realized, you know, parents, be careful. Be careful. If, if a child's doing something well and they're doing good, praise them. Don't be afraid to say it. Dad, if you mess up, don't be afraid to say I'm sorry. Those are words we very seldom heard from the generation older than me. If you messed up, you just say messed up. I put shoes on Jeremy one time and he just fought them dress shoes. I knew he would like tennis shoes. He's fighting them dress shoes and I paddled him. And then I realized I didn't take the tissue out of the toes. Oops, my bad. That was bad. I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I always hoped that he would get over that. And he probably don't even remember it now, but it bothered me for years. Don't abuse children. Sometimes my kids have come to me and said, Dad, how do you know when it's time to start discipline? And my first reaction is, son, when you can't stand it no more. <laughs> and that's really not it. Tex Monk took me aside one time when Jeremy was little. And he said, let me tell you something. Don't ever get on a kid for being a kid. We worked horses and things like that back then. He said, you know, you can take them horses out there and you can get all over them. But if they don't know what you're wanting them to do, you'll just make them scared of you. You're not going to make them smarter. You've got to teach them what you want them to do. He said, don't get on a kid for just being a kid. That ain't going to make him no smarter. It'll just abuse him and make him scared of you. He said, now when they defy you, that's a different deal. You know, when you go, son, don't touch that, and they go, <laughs> now we got a problem, don't we? I got in a bad habit, and we was out at Allison, Texas, and I, I'm sorry, those of you that don't know these names, I regret you didn't get to know these men, but Red Dukes was out there, and I was, Bev and I was staying with Red, and Jeremy and Missy were little, and I, uh, Jeremy did something, I said, son, I'll get you, son, I'll get you. Red goes, come here. He goes, you're going to get that boy? I go, well, he goes, if you're not, quit threatening him. <laughs> it don't mean nothing he said if you say son I'm going to get you and he does it again you get him but don't threaten him you know that's two good pieces of advice wasn't it don't just sit there and threaten now if you go to Proverbs 23 13 to 14 it talks about beating your son or beating your child you know the Bible says the rod of correction will drive it from him and spare the rod and spoil the child and he that disciplined not, or, uh, not his son hateth his son the Bible tells us. Now, it's a different world we live in, people. I want you to know that. When I grew up, if mom, we were in the store and I wanted something and mom and dad said, no, you can't have it, and I threw a fit, you got it on the spot. And there was a line of people willing to help give it to you if mom and dad got tired. All right? That's just the way people thought back then. That kid needs a good beating. That drive that foolishness out of him. Now I know our world is a different place and we got scholars and I know you've got to be more sensitive about the world around you. Don't beat your kid at Walmart. Don't beat your kid at Dollar General. I understand. Let me tell you something though. When a kid enjoys a trip to the back of the building, you know they're crying, fussing, throwing a fit and you get up and take them to the back of the building and all of a sudden they're having fun. Then the trip to the back of the building has got to become a bad experience. Just say it. But I want the kid to sit and behave in church. Am I? Or have I got other things I'm doing? Interesting, isn't it? Discipline starts with mom and dad. Now, my dad had a couple of things when we went to school. My daughter-in-law is a school teacher. 
I don't know how kids treat teachers now. I've heard horror stories about it. Dad would say, son, you're going to school, and this is the way I raised mine. He said, son, you go to school. I don't expect you to be a straight-A student. You're, not, you're probably not going to be the smartest one in the class. He was already set up for failure on grades, and he was ready to accept that. He said, but let me tell you something, boy. You can go up there, and you can be respectful, and you can behave yourself. And then Dad would bribe us. Now, I know you're not supposed to bribe a child, but my dad was the king of bribers, and I bribed mine. And here was the deal he always made every year. Son, if you'll go up there and behave yourself and do right, I won't beat the tar out of you. And now who can turn down a deal like that? You know what I mean? But you know what? If you went up there and didn't behave yourself and was disrespectful and got in trouble and the teacher sent note home, you know what did happen? Yeah, you know what happened. There needs to be discipline in the family, but it needs to start with mom and dad. And then it goes down to the kids. And then there is the last thing I want to bring up, and that is the legacy. I was one of these short-sighted people. You're going to feel sorry for me, but don't feel too bad. See, I had this idea when a kid got 18 to 20 years old and they left home, you didn't have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> hey, wasn't that great? I mean, I'd done my job. All the kids are gone. Bomb of the party's on. Well, we can do all the things that we we didn't do and, and all this kind of stuff, right? I think you worry about them more sometimes when they're 40 than you did when they were four. You know why? Because grandchildren come along. And these little grandkids come along and you realize, granddad, grandmother, your job isn't done. They're still looking. Proverbs 17, 6, children's children are a crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. And I think fathers there means their ancestors that come before them, that we give them something to be proud of. Now, granddad's not perfect. He's made mistakes, made mistakes in raising kids and being a husband and all that. But his heart's turned to following God. Is that what they see? Or did they see me telling them stuff I'm not willing to do myself? The foundation of a Christian home, the foundation of a Christian life, the foundation of life itself. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. I read a deal on a church sign. I've got a bad habit of doing that. You show me a man with a Bible that's falling apart. And I'll show you a man with a life that has it together. Hear these sayings of mine and do them. Are you a Christian? Make sure you're there first. And then follow the instructions. If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.